Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's that time, it's Tuesday, May 4th, may the 4th be with you, and it's episode 27 of Two Nerds in a Pod, the nerdiest gaming podcast in the galaxy. I'm Lom, also known as Mr. Nice Guy, and I have my friend here with me, my co-host, my comrade in in gaming, news reporting, and commentary, Maction. Mac, how are you feeling, buddy? I am doing well. I was feeling a little, you know, earlier today, but then I tried this new Do SA. Two Nerds in a Pod, brought to you by Mountain Dew. The dewiest dew you can do. Um, and uh, and anyway, it is basically a, a suicide, or that is to say they mixed Code Red, Whiteout, and Voltage together. And are those three things that you like individually, or do they just kind of come together to make a beautiful deliciousness in your mouth? You know, of the three, Whiteout's the only one that I ever really cared for, and I'm not a big fan of Do SA, but I figured I had to try it, give it its moment in the sun. Now, how did they come out with that? Because that seems like a very, like, patriotic type of thing that should be something that maybe we're eating on or drinking on Independence Day. Why is it just released now? What's significant about now? I am not sure. I honestly have no idea. But Code Red, Red, White Out White, Voltage was a bluish color. So Red, White, Blue, there's its patriotism. That's why it's why it's the, you know, do SA thing. But why they did it now, I don't know. Maybe they were hoping to gauge interest before July so they would know if they needed to ramp up production i i you know that's a crazy concept gauging interest before releasing a product i'm just gonna leave that hanging in the air without naming any companies that maybe don't have enough stock of things that people want to buy uh mac how has your week been drinking some do do sa how has the Um, week been uh, yeah, the week's been good. I've made some great progress on the motorcycle. Um, have uh, played some fun new games. On the subject of the motorcycle, it's really funny because I may have mentioned that like three, four years ago, I started accumulating the parts, the gaskets, the various things that I knew one day I was going to need to do to do a complete overhaul. Okay, but, okay. But now that I'm actually doing it, the overhead cost is very minimal because I, I spent that money years and years ago. But the funny part is is that as I've uh, I've purchased some things that I was like, okay, yep, I can't find these front wheel bearings. Let's go ahead. Let's order that. And then the next day, I find the old ones that I bought like two years ago. I'm like, well dude it's that's the thing is like it's not like you'll need to stockpile them so at least you're finding them you know what i mean yeah 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 but still it is just a little disappointing because it's like that 20 dollars no but you know it is what it is yeah Yeah. absolutely well dude my week has been solid as well man i'm actually i'm I'm exhausted right now i'm not gonna lie i always bring the energy but i I'm, i'm good at hiding how tired I really am sometimes. So last night I went to the city with a buddy. I live in the Burbs. We drove to the city to do some mics. And uh, and yeah, that's that's a very tiring thing. And I actually wrote a blog on my personal website that I'm going to publish probably next week called Five Hours for Five Minutes. And it chronicles like as you're going through the open mic process and even the process of doing shows, sometimes you'll spend like between travel time and signing up on a list and waiting to perform – you'll spend five hours just to work on your five minutes of material. So like an hour drive there, an hour drive back, and then three hours of waiting for people to, to actually start the mic on time, watching other comics do their thing, and then finally getting to go up. Uh, it's, a str- it's not stressful, but it's a very tiring process, and that's what we did last night. So, so yeah, it's, uh, it's good though, man. It's, it's, it's uh, something every, every great comic has gone through, you know, the process of doing open mics, multiple mics a night, which is what we did last night, and uh, and just working out that material, getting better, watching other bad comics do their thing, and trudging through the crap to find the the bucket of gold at the end. So that was my week, man. Good week. I got real shows this weekend, so that's part of the payoff. I'm excited for that. Nice. Well, Mac, I'm going to get a tweet composed, but in the meantime, what do you say we hop right into the news, man? 
Absolutely. And boy, do we have some good stuff for you this month. Now, Mr. Nice Guy and I have not really compared too many notes, but uh, if this week is anything like past weeks, I know Mr. Nice Guy here is going to be perfectly on point. Dude, we, we always seem to find that even without comparing notes that great minds think alike, we find the same news stories to talk about. We find the same funny stuff to talk about. Let's jump right in. This first new, this first news story uh, comes from GameSpot. Uh, and it says, a Reddit user who found a CD containing source code. This story's fascinating. Containing, Max already smiling and laughing because he probably read about this as well. Uh, containing the source code to 1998's StarCraft has returned it to Blizzard, and the developer has paid him back nicely. As Kotaku reports, Reddit user Chemist49 found the gold master disc labeled StarCraft Gold, master source code in a, quote, box of Blizzard stuff that he bought on the auction site eBay. There's a picture of it here. It says, He told his story to the people on Reddit, and some asked him to upload the files online for everyone. Overall, he said the decision about what to do was making him, quote, crazy. There's a quote from him here. It says, quote, The CD is driving me crazy, and I apologize if I come off the wrong way, he said. People are not either bashing me for owning... Excuse me, he says, People are either bashing me for owning it, I don't know why, not like I stole it, offering me money for it, calling me a, a DB... <laughs> <laughs> for not releasing it or threatening to tell Blizzard I have it. After coming across this account, Blizzard's legal team apparently reached out to ask that the disc be returned and it was as it was filled with quote intellectual property and trade secrets. After seeking his own legal counsel, Chemist49 elected to send the disc to Blizzard. In return, Blizzard gave him a free copy of Overwatch, $250 in Blizzard store credit and an all-expense paid trip to BlizzCon as well as a night out for drinks, among other things. Blizzard's con Blizzard confirmed this story to, to Kotaku, saying it wanted to show an appropriate level of appreciation, blah, blah, blah. So there's two questions that really come with this, Mac, uh, in my mind. First of all, just to summarize, guys, basically, this guy received the master disc for a game. So it had, like, the code for the original 1998 StarCraft. People, to put it in layman's terms, were encouraging him to upload the files so that they could become public. Uh, so that others could use them and probably, you know, make their own mods and alter the game and, and things like that. Mac, the first question, if you're in that guy's situation, you honestly purchased it on eBay, you legally purchased it, what do you do, man? What do you, what do you do? Honestly, it depends on the kind of goodwill that I've got with the company. Or should I say the kind of goodwill that company has generated with me? Yeah. Um, uh, because, because frankly... Um, it's a piece of gaming uh, history that yeah. he had. You know what I mean? That's 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 kind of the pull. It's this piece of gaming history that who knows if it'll ever. I mean, if it'll ever see the light of day. If you hand it over to anybody else, you could play a dare I say pivotal role in preserving this history exactly. by making sure yeah. that it's out there. Um, and and let's let's be clear. I I do very much so agree with the uh, agree with um, the sentiment that uh, oh gosh uh, was it Frank Cafaldi is that his name? Um, he's the one behind the uh, behind the Disney Afternoon and Mega Man oh, Legacy yes, collection. Yes, I was thinking about that as well when I read this story. Yeah, he he had said something uh, that uh, game preservation just can't be left solely to the content uh, to the content owners because historically they have just done an awful job of preserving game history. Right. And uh, and you know I very much very much agree with that. But basically it would come down to on the one hand you know you want to give it back you want to you know, uh, make sure that it's in the hands of the people who created it or made it. And on the other hand, you want to preserve these things, make sure that it's available for historical purposes. For me, it would have just come down to, does the, you know, do I feel like the company is going to do the right thing with it? Um, right, right. Now and so far, Blizzard has been pretty good, pretty good about most of this stuff. So I, I think excellent. it's... I would have made probably the same call. I would have turned it straight back over to them. I wouldn't have asked a dime. Now, the dude did consult with a legal team, so that kind of leads me to believe that he was considering doing some other things, and mm -hmm. uh, and he decided, hey, my lawyers have kind of told me, no, I shouldn't, so I'm just going to turn it over to them and uh, and and go with it that way. 
Well, if I may, it's possible that he wasn't consulting a legal team to check out options, but if Blizzard, you know, sent contacted him and said, "You need to turn that o- we'd like you to turn that over to us. It has our intellectual property and trade secrets." You know, if I get an email like that from Blizzard, I'm absolutely going to pull in some legal counsel just to say, "Hey, question here, Am I, you know, am I facing down the barrel of a legal shotgun right now? Um, just because if there's anything you need to do to protect yourself, you know, le- from a legal standpoint, um, maybe he was thinking what options he had open, but maybe he was also thinking, oh, crap, lawyers are involved. Uh, I guess I better get a lawyer. That's a good uh, point. That's dude, a good point. Lawyer now, chew. I choose you. Yeah. Now, here's the here's the second question. Mac, do you feel like Blizzard compensated him appropriately? $250, a copy of Overwatch, a game that's about a year old, but one of their most popular games. And then additionally, they gave him a ticket to BlizzCon and a night out for drinks in exchange for something that, like I said, is basically a piece of gaming history that contains intellectual property and trade secrets. Um, What do you think, man? No. Uh, Frankly, I think that uh, what would have been a uh, probably would have been better you know more commiserate with that would be a ticket to blizzcon probably a tour of uh, of blizzards hq afterward maybe a few days to hobnob with people y- you know that sort of thing i honestly i love experiences like that you know it's one of the reasons why i'm why i'm taking the time to rebuild the motorcycle i want to i want to you know i want to experience not just riding but also all the workings of it so that when i'm riding down the road i know how it works so i value very much experiences that i could get and i think what would be a more appropriate yes ticket to blizzcon um and you know expenses to get there but also a tour of of Blizzard afterward, and I think throw that extra little bit of a tour of Blizzard afterward, and I think I think that's just about right for me, at least. Yeah, that would have been very very cool, man. Meet some of the devs, you know, go behind mm-hmm. the scenes. They don't have to show you anything secret, although they kind of already did. And frankly, I don't feel like Blizzard is really getting enough flack for the fact that they. I hope my mic volume is is up loud enough. Let me know if it's not, you guys. I don't think Blizzard is getting enough flack for the fact that they somehow let this out in the public. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. they, they let this disc out in the wild. The master disc for one of the greatest gaming franchises ever, one of their most notable gaming franchises, uh, they just allowed it to be sold. Or maybe it was a disgruntled former employee. I don't know how this got out there. Um, but I, I, I feel like them even kind of threatening the guy w- was not appropriate. I, I don't know the exact wording that was used, but that's just my stance. Now, mm-hmm. to answer my own questions, if I had been in that guy's situation... I would have consulted a legal team as well. And I don't think that I would have gone at it with the intention of trying to get paid for it or trying to ruin the company. But I do believe that these things, you know, they're, they're public info once they're out in the wild like that and purchased legally. So as a, as a preservationist of gaming stuff, I would have liked to have seen it preserved. Do I think that Blizzard paid him adequately for it? Absolutely not. Um, they obviously took the time to have lawyers research it. They should have paid him more. Now, we spent a lot of time on this news story because it was pretty cool, but I say we move on to the next oh. thing, Mac, unless you have more thoughts on it. What did you want to no, say? No, no. I think, I think I've think i spoken my piece. Let's carry on. Cool. Now, this next story, Mac, I guarantee you read this one as well. This is on GameSpot 2. Uh, it says, The Strong Museum has announced the inductees for this year's video, excuse me, World Video Game Hall of Fame. Donkey Kong, Halo Combat Evolved, Pokemon Red and Green, Street Fighter 2, excuse me, and Street Fighter 2, have all received the honor this year. They came out of a group of 12 finalists that also included Final Fantasy 7, Windows Solitaire, Mortal Kombat, Myst, Portal, I'm surprised Portal didn't make it, uh, Resident Evil, Tomb Raider, and Wii Sports. Those titles could be considered for inclusion next year. This is the third wave of inductees to the museum's Hall of Fame. Following rounds in 2016 and 2015, the winners were announced today during a ceremony at the Strong Museum in Rochester, New York. The two previous classes for the Strong Museum's World Video Game Hall of Fame included Doom, Grand Theft Auto 3, The Legend of Zelda, The Oregon Trail, Pac-Man, Pong, The Sims, Sonic the Hedgehog, Space Invaders, Super Mario Bros., Tetris, and World of Warcraft. These are on permanent display in the Strong Museum. 
Games are recognized for a number of criteria, including icon status, longevity, and geographical reach, as well as an impact on design and development of other games, pop culture, and society. So basically, man, five very, very good games, five classic games uh, inducted to the Hall of Fame today. Do you agree with those picks? Do you think any are left out that uh, should have been included? What are your thoughts? Well, I think we could fill a I think we could fill a book with games that I think belong in there. But of the ones that were presented, I too am surprised that Portal didn't get in. Uh, Mist is also one that surprised me a little bit. But the ones that they put in, you know, two thumbs way, way up. Yeah, I think there's no question that Halo is like, it's literally like one of the most iconic games ever. You know what I mean? Like, it's right up there with Super Mario Brothers. Like, when you think about Xbox, you automatically think Halo. When you think about video games, quite frankly, a lot of people think of Halo is the thing that first comes to mind. Now, it'll be interesting. I feel like there will be a Call of Duty game inducted at some point. I wonder which one it will be because there's been so many. So, maybe it'll be the first one. We'll see. Well, cool. I will. Uh, let's keep things moving. Guys, once again, this is Two Nerds in a Pod, the nerdiest gaming podcast in the galaxy. And our next story, let's talk a little bit about some Nintendo stuff. Uh, let's talk Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, which just came out uh, and has sold 1 million copies in three days. It says Mario Kart 8 Deluxe has, like I just said, sold 1 million copies on the Nintendo Switch in three days, uh, according to an analyst. Nintendo previously confirmed that the racing game has set day one franchise sales records. Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, the Nintendo Switch version of the popular Wii U racing game, has sold, it keeps saying the same thing over and over again, 1 million copies, according to Nico Partner and, par, Partners analyst Daniel Ahmad. Earlier this week, the analyst revealed that Mario, wow, it's going to say it again. <laughs> Guys, bottom line, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe has sold 1 million copies in three days. I'm not going to read an article that just keeps saying that over and over again. Uh, that's a lot of a lot of copies. Now, Mac, I know you're not a console guy, I, but if you've played Mario Kart before, I have. Do you have a favorite Mario Kart? What, and um, if so, which one is it? Even if you uh, just have a favorite track, I'm curious. Mario Kart 64. Dude, I, I'm with you. I am with you. To me, that was the best one. And so, whenever I'm playing Deluxe, because I did pick it up. Uh, for the Switch, I always want to play the races that were from the N64 because those were the ones that really, I feel like, were Mario Kart in its heyday before there was online multiplayer, but back when the couch co-op still ruled the scene, man. Um, that that was the game right there. I feel like it was better than the Super Nintendo version, uh, and I feel like it was better than the GameCube as well. The tracks were just perfect in my mind. So We're on the same page there. Next news story. Let's talk about Call of Duty for a minute, you guys. Now, you guys, if you know me, you know that my first Call of Duty was Black Ops on the Xbox 360. That was one of the first games that I got on my 360 when I got it for Christmas 2010 from the wife. One of the best Christmas presents I ever got. Uh, and, And as that was my first Call of Duty, the original Black Ops... I played zombies a lot. I I spent hours and hours playing zombies. So here's some exciting zombie news. Uh, It says Jason Blundell, and this is on Game Informer. Jason Blundell, co-studio head of Treyarch, the developer behind the Black Ops trilogy, has announced the newest zombie-related DLC for Call of Duty Black Ops 3. The announcement comes via a guest appearance on YouTuber JC Backfire's channel. The pack features eight zombie maps from games as early as World at War, when the beloved zombies mode originally debuted in the series. Quote, a lot of our fans have come in later, have come in at like Black Ops 2 or even Black Ops 3, Blundell told JC Backfire on his video. So those early storyline kind of concepts and those early maps that really set down the foundation for zombies, a lot of people hadn't experienced them or they kind of experienced them in little bits and bobs in different places. The pack features the following classic maps in Black Ops 3, and I'll just run through them. Nocter, Nocter Untoten on World at War, Verukt on World at War, Shino Numa on World at War, Kino Der Toten, one of my favorite maps, original Black Ops, Ascension Black Ops, Shangri-La Black Ops, Moon Black Ops, Origins Black Ops 2. Blendo uh, calls all the remakes faithful, stating that it will was important to remain authentic to the original experiences. You can see the full discussion between Blendo and JC Baxley, uh, JC Backfire on the video on this website. So here's my thing, man. Um, Call of Duty Black Ops, or Call of Duty in general, has never released DLC after the year that the game came out. So in other words, Call of Duty comes out in November. 
it basically has a year of DLC, and then the next game takes over and no DLC comes out. So they're kind of switching things up and releasing DLC even after the game is no longer the most recent Call of Duty, if that makes sense for all of you in the chat. Uh, I think it's cool, and I really was hoping that this would actually be a standalone game. I'm kind of disappointed that it's not, but it is what it is. Mac, I'm just going to talk and talk and talk because I know that you really don't have an opinion on this. Uh, I am an expert on the Call of Modern Valor, you know, franchise. So, yes, I have many strong opinions about this. Uh, although I will defer to you because uh, my opinions are, are too strong for me to voice at this moment. I am... It's totally cool. Now, we have my friend in the chat right now, Goose Gons. Who, yeah, it has been a long time since I've seen you, homie. Dude, we need a game. We always say we're going to do it. We never do it. I want to get your opinion, man, because you're a Call of Duty aficionado. Uh, and you too, uh, everyone else who's in the chat. Are you guys going to pick up this Black Ops 3 DLC? Uh, I feel like Black Ops 3 is still relevant. Like People are still playing it just like every other Call of Duty. And Zombies is one of the most popular co-op modes. They have a co-op mode every year. Zombies is, I would say, the most popular one. Are you guys going to go back, pick this up, play the remastered uh, maps? Let me know in the chat what you think. I think that that's well worth 15 bucks. Uh, eight zombie maps. I assume it's going to be 15 bucks. Uh, someone says they have the season pass, so they're going to get it for free. So, yes. Yeah. Someone else says Black Ops 3 is lame. Well, cool. So we have kind of divisive opinions. Regardless, guys, it's coming out. I was hoping it'd be a standalone zombie game. It is what it is. We'll take what we can get. Uh, let's talk NBA 2K for a minute, Max. Something else that I know you're extremely passionate about. Mm -hmm. uh, and this, in all seriousness, you may have an opinion on this because this actually deals with esports. Uh, this is on Kotaku. It says 17 NBA teams sign on to appear in NBA 2K Esports League. Uh, it says, today the NBA and Take-Two Interactive announced the 17 NBA teams that have agreed to participate in the inaugural NBA 2K League. The NBA teams that will use, excuse me, that will let their virtual logos and jerseys appear in the eSports League are, and I'm not going to read all of them, but we have some from major cities. We got Boston Celtics, Cleveland Cavaliers, Golden State Warriors, Miami Heat, New York Knicks, Orlando Magic, uh, Philadelphia 76ers, my, my tr Portland Trail Blazers, you know they're in there, Utah Jazz, Washington Wizards, and a few others. It says the league will draft teams of five players to compete in a five-month season, which will mirror the NBA with a regular season, bracketed playoffs, and a final championship match to wrap it all up. Players will create their own avatars for competition, so no one will be using avatars of the recognizable basketball stars that appear in NBA 2K, like LeBron James or Kyrie Irving. The NBA is the first pro sports league to co-own an esports organization in the United States. In Europe, several soccer leagues have signed on to participate in a FIFA esports league. Excuse me, FIFA esports league. It's a mouthful. Earlier this year, ESPN partnered with EA for broadcasting rights of these FIFA matches. So, Mac, here's here's the gist of this, man. So, legitimate uh, legitimate sports leagues, the NBA. Uh, has decided that they are going to have an esports league where they allow players to play their NBA 2K, and they're actually going to provide them with you know benefits, with uh, with a, a competitive salary. Like this is becoming a legitimate job now. It adds some legitimacy to, in my mind. Well, I kind of answered my question, but do you think this will add legitimacy <laughs> to esports, or do you think this is something that's just going to kind of come and go and sports teams? Sports leagues will lose uh, lose interest in it. What are your thoughts, man? You know, it's really interesting, Mr. Nice Guy, because we've, back when we, around the time that we started doing this podcast, but in its previous incarnation, um, there people were throwing a lot of derision toward any talk of esports. But now it's, I feel like it is legitimized. Like, it is... It's a thing people understand, or I mean, enough people understand it that it's not difficult for people to realize why it's a, you know, why it's a thing. It's pe enough people believe that it's worth having that they're willing to pay people to do these esports games. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I mean, it's a professional thing now. And, I'm pretty dang thrilled about it. I mean, college, it's gotten to the point that colleges are now offering scholarships for people to play League of Legends. You know what I mean? Like, it's not, no pun intended, but it's not a game anymore. Like, it's not a game. Like, you can get an education now 
because you are good at video games. Like you can get a scholarship to go study math or science or or law or whatever, you know, because you're good at video games, you can now use that as a way to pay for a traditional education. So for everyone who, who mocks video games, thinks it's a waste of time, you know, thinks it's not a serious thing, esports has proven otherwise um, that it's it's very, very legitimate. Uh, and someone asked the question in the chat, how will they choose the players? I don't know all the details, but I mean, obviously it's going to be a very competitive thing. Uh, and it'll be based on the region or actually the city where people live. Because I think that the teams will be based, for example, the Chicago Bulls team will be based on players who are in the Chicago area um, when the Chicago Bulls are a part of this, which they are not this year. Last news story, guys, and then we'll keep things moving to our next segment. Uh, this deals with one of my favorite games. This is on GameSpot. It's about uh, We're talking about Activision Blizzard again. It says, Activision Blizzard's latest earnings report today the company revealed that the Blizzard hero shooter Overwatch has crossed a big money milestone. It's now a billion-dollar franchise, the eighth in Activision Blizzard's portfolio, joining the likes of Call of Duty and World of Warcraft. The billion-dollar sales figure covers revenue from game sales and microtransactions through the game's popular loot box system, according to Polygon. Overwatch set a new record for monthly active users during fiscal quarter one, Activision Blizzard said though the company did not share any specific numbers. The company also reiterated that Overwatch hit 30 million registered players faster than any game in the company's history. The slide containing the Overwatch details also mentions that some initial commentary around Call of Duty World War II and Destiny 2. Pre-orders for both games are, quote, very strong, Activision Blizzard said. Um, yeah, man, so, Mac, a billion dollar! A billion, dude, this podcast one day, you never know, we're only in episode 27, could be a billion dollar podcast. You you never know, man. And and that's really what I have. I'm not gonna ask you questions about Overwatch. I know you don't play it. Guys, it's a great game if you have not tried it out. Where have you been? It's it's amazing. You're living under a rock if you have not tried Overwatch. And that's our news stories for the week. Mac, I'll let you take it away with our next segment. All right. Well, once again, for those of you who joining who are joining us, this is Two Nerds in a Pod, the nerdiest gaming podcast in the known universe. And now we're on to our next segment, which is called Gaming History. So, since we have broadcast last, since we've recorded last, um, in years past, there have been some games that have come out that we just want to highlight a couple noteworthy ones. So, let's start with a little one that was released on the PS2 in 2001. I'm talking Gauntlet Dark Legacy. Ooh. Now, um, I remember this game quite well. Not because I had a PS2, but this was one of those games where Gauntlet, you know you needed some extra people to play this game, which means I got to enjoy this game with some friends. Um, I have to admit, I was always the one who was stealing the three-way shot in Gauntlet Dark Legacy, but uh, but in my defense, I was the best with the three-way shot. Mr. Nice Guy, did you have any... Uh, I mean, was, was Gauntlet Dark Legacy something that you played at all? Dude, I'll be honest with you. I'm a huge, huge... Like, I love Gauntlet, but Gauntlet Legends is the one that I was really into. I never uh. really got into Dark Legacy... Um, but I do have kind of a funny story about Gauntlet Legends when we uh, when you have a second. I'll let you finish doing your thing. Okay, we'll okay. About it. Yeah. Um, well, I, I was just going to move on to the next game, so if you want to throw oh, it out. I'll there. do it right now then. Yeah, go so for it. I grew up, you know, grew up in the Seattle area. There was this awesome arcade not far from my house. And one time my uncle came over. Uh, he picked me and my brother up, and we went to this arcade to go play. The main game we were playing there was Gauntlet Legends. Great game. So, you know, in Gauntlet, the way that it works is you have to eat food to stay alive, right? You have to keep mm -hmm. your health up. And in the arcade version of the game, your health automatically goes down as time goes on to encourage you to continue to put quarters on so you can keep your health up. The alternative to putting quarters in is eating food. So it was me, my brother, my uncle. There was a fourth player who was an, a random, just some random kid in the arcade. So we ran out of quarters. We were really far in the game. My uncle's health is running down. We see a piece of meat, and oh, we're no. like, oh, he's going to be able to eat it. He's going to be okay. So we're all just going through the level, and we're like, hey, don't eat that food right there because our uncle is almost out of health. 
So don't eat it. We say this to the random kid. What does he do? Runs over and eats the meat, Maxion. My uncle's character dies, and shortly thereafter, we all perished because we didn't have enough people. Mm-hmm. So if you're ever playing arcade games that require you to eat to stay alive, don't steal your teammates' food. And you know what's crazy? After the kid did it, he was like, oh, my bad. <laughs> He's just one of those people who was not very self-aware. It was it was uh, it was an awkward situation because we were all angry at him, and uh, and our team failed. That's my story about Gauntlet. I'll let you continue. No, great story, and that's what gaming history is all about—not just the game, but also our memories of the game. And should you ever feel so inclined, throw your into the comments section. Go ahead and throw your memories of any of these games. Uh, now, the next one is very fitting. Released in 1997 for Windows, X-wing versus Tie Fighter. Yes, a Star Wars game. Yes, today on May 4th. May the 4th be with you, of course. Uh, X-wing versus Tie Fighter. Man, these games. As a young man, um, we would fire these up. I seem to recall playing them on the IBM 386 uh, joystick. The only way you can play them, I still occasionally crack them out every so often, so I do have my, I do have my joystick as well, complete with, uh, complete with throttle there on the back, um, because these games, they were hard, but they were fun. And it's kind of hard for me to imagine a game that did quite as well with its very limited, uh, uh, you know, uh, with its very limited, it's very limited um, sprites, it's limited computing power, it's limited everything. It just did a really great job. I mean, granted, dogfighting was primarily, you know, just get behind the other person and unload because... The cannons are always strapped to the front. You can never really, you know, angle around. You have to be dogfighting them like you would in air, which is kind of ridiculous when you think about it as an adult. But uh, but nonetheless, great times playing that and uh, and being the wingman because you would uh, you would have you could have somebody else handle power distribution through the number pad. So with my brother, it would be he would be flying and I'd be handling power distribution as we went, or vice versa, I'd be flying and dying, and he'd be trying to keep me alive with power distribution because I was not very good at the uh, at the time. But nonetheless, X-wing versus Tie Fighter, wonderful. Um, there are I, I, there are so many good games that came out recently. I've got to got to mention but skip over real quick recently in years past you mean yes recently in years past thank you (laughs) um for this week in years past um in 1995 a little game called full throttle uh not only is that getting an hd remaster um which i or it it has gotten an hd remaster that i have yet to play uh but i have very fond memories about full throttle um What's fun about it is that it was a point-and-click adventure game that didn't have, like, the verbs down at the bottom like you would have in Maniac Mansion, but instead the patch for the uh, for the biker gang gang that you were the leader of contained okay. the verbs within it. Um, it was really one of... Uh, it, I think it's probably my fav- one of my favorite takes on the point-and-click uh, mechanic. Um... In 2002, Elder Scrolls Morrowind came out uh, for Windows in 2002. Brilliant game. It still is my favorite of the Elder Scrolls series. Um, So much depth to that game. Uh, But this last one's definitely sort of the crowning jewel in this past week. And that was 1999 for the Nintendo 64. A little game called Super Smash Brothers. I don't know if you've heard about this. It was uh, was kind of a big deal yeah. back in the day. It's, it's still it's still kind of relevant, you know what I mean. People are still hoping really? that they'll they'll bring it back for the Switch. I, I, is, is, is it? Do people still play this? I mean, it used to be pretty competitive back in the day. I but, know, man. You know, it's not. People, I think I think people, it's making a comeback. Really? I I don't know, Mister Nice Guy. I'm gonna have to look into that. But uh, but Super Smash Brothers, fantastic game. Um, one of the few games, you know me, I'm a cooperative player, not a competitive player, but Super Smash Brothers is one of the few games where I'll throw down on some couch, uh, some couch competition. Awesome. And, uh, and there we go. There's some gaming history for you. 
And uh, Mr. Nice Guy, over to you. Dude, those are some really good games. Thank you for sharing that. I know. It was so hard to narrow them down. There's even like 10 more. Wow. It's, it, it, it was just a good week for video games. Yeah, man. In various years past. Well, very good. Uh, guys, now it's time for a segment of our show that we like to call the viewer question of the week, week, week. A section where you ask us a question and we answer it with our opinions. We have two this week. We just got one live in the chat from my man Goose Gons. Uh, he wants to know, how do you feel about YouTube taking away money from YouTubers? Now, I asked him for some clarification. He says paying less with ads, like allowing them to put less ads in their videos. Um, now, I'm not a YouTuber, and I haven't been one for a long time. Mac, do you have a stance on this, and are you familiar with this issue a little more than I am? Uh, I... Uh, probably. Um, the last YouTube video that I put up was about two years ago, uh, because I kind of, uh, just kind of got out of that scene, but, uh, but I think I can offer something. So the way that I look at it is that the ads, uh, you know, sure, the ads are declining. Ad revenue's always been declining. I actually, in December of 2012, uh, was getting enough ad revenue um, that I contemplated um, stopping working and uh, just, you know, focusing on doing YouTube full time. Um, and then I never, not once ever since then, made as much, even with more views going on on my channel. So that kind of disinclined me towards it. I felt like it was way too, uh, way too volatile. Uh, to try and stake your your livelihood on. That being said, I think that most people, um, especially mo people who've done it for a little while, understand just how volatile it is, and also understand that it's not so much that failure to make money is not the same as somebody taking money away. And YouTube really has no has little to no responsibility to the people who are putting up content um, to get them adver advertisement and advertising dollars, except as YouTube wants to keep having people generate quality content. So it's more of a, it depends on what YouTube wants. If YouTube wants good um, content and revenue uh, and wants that revenue to flow, to sort of make that happen, then that's kind of entirely on them, not so much of a responsibility of YouTube to provide. But that's kind of my take on it. Now, if you, here's my thing. Now, if you were to ask the average person, like if you were to say, name three other video uploading services besides YouTube, I would mm -hmm. bet that most people could not do it. And, it, and YouTube doesn't technically have a monopoly, but they effectively have a monopoly. You know oh, they I mean? absolutely do. I mean, I, mean I, could name, I could name a couple other places, but no other place really that you've got the same opportunity to profit off of the videos that you put up. No, not at all. I mean, people literally watch YouTube videos in their free time. People constantly email and say, hey, check out this YouTube video. It's funny. Look at these cats being cute. You know, look at this dude getting hurt. On purpose, you know, just all kinds of random funny stuff that people put on YouTube. And it's a time waste, but it's a good time waste. Um, I can think of Vimeo as being a, a, mm -hmm. a like a very small competitor to YouTube, but not nearly as relevant. Like, you think about search engines, people use the word Google in reference to searching for something on the internet, despite the fact that there are dozens and dozens and hundreds and hundreds of other search engines. And I feel like YouTube is the exact same thing. So why does this matter? Um, because YouTube is basically universally known. And so they have no obligation, right? They have no obligation to pay people more because they know that they have a monopoly. Well, also, they've never had an obligation. Um, if you actually, I mean, I was making some money, like I mentioned, off of YouTube, at uh, my YouTube work at some point in time. And uh, the contract and the thing, hoops that you jump through in order to put your videos on there and profit from them um, is very clear that there's, that, you know, there's no obligation they have to you. Now, of course, it's always been, and like I said, December 2012, that was the peak. At least for me, that's when ever since then, 
earnings from YouTube people have just been steadily going down. Now, the most recent thing that has people upset is that because of some very, uh, some very political and uh, to many people undesirable political views, um, advertisers started taking a closer look and by closer look, I mean they kind of started running screaming um, from having their advertise their ads being run on certain types of videos. Um, some people pulled advertising dollars entirely. Um, you could think of it as almost sort of like a run on the bank. Advertisers kind of run and ran and grabbed all of their money out of uh, putting ads onto YouTube. Um, some of them did it. This caused, has caused some troubles and some much lower than expected payouts. But this is something that's entirely not on YouTube's side anyway. So I, I feel like the question about how do I feel about YouTube um, taking money away from uh, taking money away from uh, from content creators is kind of not really an accurate question in the first place because the Number one, they have no obligation to do it. And number two, the most recent issue is primarily in advertisers choosing not to put their advertising dollars into YouTube. And that's not something that YouTube can really control. If the advertising revenue is not there, the money's not going to flow. And because YouTube's under no obligation to make payouts for views, it's, you know, it's kind yeah. of just sort of what what do people want now we have a second alphabet question. as oh, the ahead, as the alphabet as the company you know alphabet you know google's a subsidiary youtube's a subsidiary of alphabet um as the company they could supplement that money and they could pour money in and they've done stuff with like their youtube red programming their stuff that's exclusive and who knows if things get bad enough they might have to inject capital in there to try and continue to incentivize people even if it has to be with their own money to keep good solid content going on on youtube or else people might go to another place and, but and yeah so like with youtube expanding and doing things and this will be my last thought and you can say mm -hmm. whatever you want after with with youtube expanding and now doing live streaming as well um, for people who are not just partners, but it's more widespread, they kind of have to like offer some incentive because really Twitch is the place to be for live streaming gaming content. Mm -hmm. There's Twitch, there's Ustream, there's other places that are more relevant than YouTube in that space, not in the video uploading space, but in the live streaming space. So for that, I feel like they do need to step their game up as far as the revenue they offer. For other things, you're right. They have a monopoly and they really don't need to, uh, to do anything else. So yeah. Now, did we have a second viewer question? We did from uh, Nerd Next Door. However, in interest of time, I think maybe we should uh, uh, we should hop along to the next one, and we can save this one for next time. Yeah, let's skip it. So, guys, viewer question of the week. Hit us up with those on Twitch. Excuse me, on Twitter at Two Nerds in a Pod, or on our Gmail at Two Nerds in a Podcast at Gmail dot com. Pre show, Mac. I'll let you take it away. All right. So this next segment is kick or kick start. Um, this is. Normally, where we'd go ahead, we'd present a Kickstarter, um, talk a little bit about it, go back and forth about what we like, what we dislike, and at the end, everybody who's uh, who's here at the live taping, we encourage you to weigh in on whether or not you think this should be kickstarted, as in, go ahead, take my money, or kick it to the curb, as in, you don't want to see this. And uh, sadly, um, I had two because I kind of overprepared. But I do want to put this one out here, which I'm going to just preemptively say, I put this out here because I think this needs to be kicked out of here. <laughs> um, I, I think this is a great example of a Kickstarter fail. Um, and basically what drew my eyes to this as I was looking through Kickstart was Seed, S-E-E -E capital D, which some of you may recognize from the uh, from Final Fantasy VIII, Seed was the name of the home base. It was the uh, it was the place where you were training to be a mercenary. It was a mercenary academy. Um, but let me just point out some of the things that are wrong with this Kickstarter. First off, this is ridiculous. I'm looking at it right now. It is ridiculous. It's first off, it never actually at any point in time clearly identifies what on God's green earth this thing is about. 
I'm going to quote straight from it. Our primary focus at Seed Gaming Academy is PC gaming, but also our dedicated console lounge, capsule beds for rest and snacks 24-7. Nothing in here tells me, and you basically, it's never explicitly said throughout the entire explanation of the project. Basically, what's going on is uh, this guy, Jonathan Neal, out of Minnesota, is trying to build um, basically a gaming location, some place that you would be able to go, you would be able to, uh, you'd be able to game, uh, do some esports, what have you, even you know have a bed if you wanted. Uh, but it's basically trying to be the arcade slash gaming store, you know, the one that you used to remember that was open all the time. People were coming and going all the time. Uh, there was even a back room that people could rent out and maybe play Dungeons and Dragons or, you know, whatever else. That sort of a thing. It's really trying to be this, but without actually selling any merchandise. Rather, just selling a sort of membership that would give you admission or time on the computers to play Overwatch, to play whatever, or to even sleep in the sleeping pods. Um, uh, basically, sleeping capsules, as he refers to sleeping them sleeping capsules. So I just have to start by saying the biggest problem is that none what this is is not actually talked about. It's just kind of talked around. Now, idea being what it is, I don't think this is the greatest idea because I think that this is a this is a market that serves way too few people. Um, you would unlikely, I mean, he's never going to get $100,000, which is his goal, to build this place. But it starts by not actually putting in the initial effort of trying to make your goal, your vision, clear enough. All he did was draw some sketches of what it would no, look like. No, no, no. Like. These are not even, uh, I don't even believe these are his uh, sketches. I do believe that these are like concept, these might be concept sketches uh, based off of like Final Fantasy, uh, Final Fantasy 8. Maybe they're his sketches, but I don't know. They look, uh, point being is there are just a lot of things wrong with this. And I think the biggest, most glaring one, aside from all the ideas and how I think that everything is everything is wrong here, is just that it doesn't actually say what they're trying to do. That little thing, that, that little blurb right at the top, is supposed to explain to people what the project's about. I, sh I don't need to dig through five paragraphs before I finally realize, but what are you actually trying to do here? Even the about this project says says almost nothing about what it is that he needs money for, what it is he's trying to build, just that this is going to be cool. And that's not the way to pitch a thing. So for any of you out there who are aspiring kickstart peoples, um, tell us what you're actually trying to do, why you've come to Kickstarter, and why what we you need the money for. Money. Exactly. Not how cool it's going to be. This reminds me of the, you know, this reminds me of that that thing where it's just like, we think you're a cool guy, man, but you're, you know, not pulling your weight in the apartment. And he's like, <laughs> I'm glad to hear I'm a cool guy. It's like, dude, you you so missed the point. This isn't a meeting about how cool you are. It's about how you need to do your dang dishes. So the point is, do your now, dishes. The thing, the thing that caught me about this is he he's thinking that people will rent these these facilities for esports, right? Now, mm -hmm. anyone who's like really serious about esports is gonna just buy the game and the console themselves, so that they don't have to go somewhere else to really, really get good. Additionally, the esports houses that exist, you know, they they exist because the players have proven themselves and because they're sponsored, and someone is willing to put down the money for them to live together, to work and to train and do these things. So, and, and I, I totally get it. He's trying to make the equivalent of a gym. Uh, but for esports and for gaming, and hey, that's a that's a cool idea. It's interesting, you know, like five boxing gym, that sort of a thing. Uh, but you know, not only do I think it's not going to work, but also I don't. You need to tell me that that's what it's about, not have us try and figure out what on earth you're trying to get money for. I like that he listed what the refreshments and snacks will be. I know, right? Because that's so important. It's an important detail because like, some people might be on the fence and then they're like, wait a minute. 
what kind of snacks are you going to have, man? Oh, if there aren't crunchy Cheetos, there is going to be hell to pay. He's no have puffy, warm pretzels. crunchy. Warm pretzels are on there, so you know. I mean, you know that he's gonna at least have a microwave in the building. Warm pretzels is good stuff. So anyway, I say kick this as well. I think it's yeah, a no-brainer. Kick it. I don't think there's any reason that that anyone should give this guy money. No disrespect. I hope that he finds success in some other field, some other Kickstarter, but this one's not it. So. I hope he just tells us what the heck he's actually trying to do instead of telling us what's so cool about it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, well, cool. Mac, did you have another one, or are we just doing the one today? Uh, let's just do the one. We're coming pretty close up. I've got another one for next time, though. Sounds good. Well, guys, now it is time for my favorite segment of the show. It's time. For the Dummy of the Week, 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 a section of the show, excuse me, a segment of the show, where somebody did something stupid, I talk about it, we joke about it, you laugh about it, and we learn from their silly, stupid mistakes. Now, Mac, it is getting harder to find Dummies of the Week, uh, because I try not to be too repetitive, and also, I don't like to share stories where people are getting hurt, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. there's too many stories this week about, like, someone got murdered over a video game. And, like, I don't feel comfortable making fun of that. Like, someone lost their life. So this story is kind of funny, but it's also kind of a repeat of one of the ones we did before. Uh, this says, armed police stop and search a video game fanatic who arrived at an airport carrying a toy rifle and fake ammunition. Now, you remember a couple weeks ago, there was a cosplayer on our show. We talked about this cosplayer, someone who dresses up like video game characters who was arrested for doing something similar. This one's on the Daily Mail. It says, a video game fanatic was surrounded by armed police at Birmingham Airport when he was spotted holding a toy rifle and ammunition. Alarm bells rang for officers when they saw the man in fancy dress, presumably en route to a video game festival nearby. Witnesses described the gamer as looking petrified with apologetic, excuse me, and apologetic when officers with real guns surrounded him in a busy passenger hub at 10 a.m. on Eastern Monday. What was the real guns in all caps? Uh, no, I just said it loud because <laughs> it's surprising to me, man. I know. Uh, I mean, that's not surprising to me. It's surprising to me that this, that this happened. Kyle Evans, a gaming journalist, said, well done to the cops for getting on it. They did a good job. The guy was wearing a helmet and was in a blacked out in blacked out clothes with magazine type holders round his waist and a gun which looked very realistic. He looked very sorry and worried. Kyle saws I think it meant to say saw four armed police and one unarmed officer pull the young man to one side and issue him with some serious words of advice. He spoke he said the officers appeared quite annoyed as they spoke to him about walking below a monorail link dressed as though he was prepared for armed combat. Kyle tweeted the picture from his account. It's Kapow is the name of the account with the caption. Some guy thought it was clever to walk through Birmingham airport with a gun. Five armed police. What a fool. At just Jamie HDG replied with a photo saying, dude, I was right next to him when it happened. Utter disrespect to the staff there. The poor lad was scared to death. A witness said the gamer appeared to be scared to death when police blah, 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 blah. Um, He was heading to Insomnia 60, the UK's biggest gaming festival, and they had dressed up for cosplay, short for costume play. Um, Guys, we've got to, as gamers, we've got to stop walking in public places with with assault rifles on us. Um, I'm with the police here, especially in an airport, man. I mean, come on. I know 9-11 happened in the U.S. and that this story is from the U.K., but regardless, you've got to know better than to think you can walk into an airport with a real-looking gun on your back with ammunition in blacked-out gear like you're ready to take people out. Like, there's just no way you can think that's okay. Now, there's a very simple solution to this if you like to cosplay. No one will fault you. If you go to the convention and get dressed in the bathroom, like I promise you, no one will fault you. However, walking through public where there's cameras and where there's children and where there's security, it's just not going to cut it, guys. You just can't do it. That guy's our dummy of the week. Mac, do you have thoughts on this or should we just keep it going, man? Basically, Mr. Nice Guy, my thought is that I've been to conventions before, I've been to cons, and you're absolutely right. Nobody's going to look down on you. The only thing that's really appropriate for you to be walking through public, and especially through security checkpoints, in and around security checkpoints, is if you're dressed as, 
I don't know, Chun-Li from Street Fighter. There we go. Pick any female uh, female character. They'll never look like they're doing like they're getting ready for battle. And there you go. That's the safety tip. If you got a cosplay in a high security area, go as a female Street Fighter character. Nobody, well, people will look at you twice, but not because they're worried you're going to take them out. <laughs> Words from Maction, y'all. That's our Dummy of the Week. Mag, let's keep it going. I think it's time for your, uh, your favorite segment, right? It is my favorite, legalese, and the reason why we save it for last. Legalese. So first, I just want to start with a quick plug that the month of July is going to be a special month-long legalese segment devoted entirely so these last few minutes of each podcast is going to be a running legalese thing dedicated entirely to video game violence and the legalese that surrounds that but for tonight what i do want to do is i want to take you for a quick trip down memory lane mr nice guy do you remember a certain russian guy a certain russian guy have to be way more specific a certain Russian guy playing Pokemon, maybe. A certain Russian guy playing Pokemon Go, perhaps, inside of a church who got arrested? Yes. Huh? Yes. Well, as it so happens, we've recently had a little bit of closure on this, uh, on this, you know, uh, 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 Russian YouTuber who's, uh, who played Pokemon Go in a church. Now, let's not forget that he did a video about tr- playing Pokemon Go in a church, a very famous church, and uh, he started out before going in about talking about how this was illegal and there were all sorts of things and even inserted this, you know, this like uh, uh, clip detailing the fines or possible prison sentences uh, for doing exactly what he was going to do and went in and did it. Well, he has been sentenced. He has been sentenced to... Uh, let me find it here, for three and a half years Ooh. for playing Pokemon Go inside uh, inside of a church. Now, specifically, the, uh, specifically it is um, obscenely joking about the, or, uh, about the Orthodox Church. Um, so basically, and, and, and uh, the specific, actually, I, I apologize, the actual um, violation of Russian law is called inciting religious hatred is what he's been uh, been convicted of. So after all, Mr. Nice Guy, my expertise, if you can call it that, is in you know U.S. law and not Russian law. And while I have to admit, I think it is definitely definitely overkill three and a half years for playing Pokemon Go inside of a church. Um, I can't be anything i you know i can't have sympathy really for this because he knew going in exactly what he was getting and exactly what the risks could be um on the other hand i am torn between between saying good for you man this is obviously a law that needs to be changed as a religious man myself i don't particularly want somebody coming into my place of worship during the middle of a during the middle of a mass and playing pokemon go but uh, at the same time, you know, I feel like this is a little much, uh, a little, little, a little harsh. Give, uh, give, you know, 30 hours community service. All, he, all like he would have had to say, and I'm not trying to mock it because I'm a religious guy, but all he would have had to say is this is how I worship. You know what I mean? <laughs> at least in the U.S. I don't know. I don't know yeah. if that would fly over there, but uh, yeah. Yeah. I doubt, I I mean, it certainly wouldn't fly. And, you know, on on the one hand, I don't have that much sympathy because he knew what he was doing going in. He knew what was possible going in. And furthermore, he was popular, you know, he's a popular guy. And he put out there that that he did this. He practically, you know, he practically, that's the equivalent of going down the, you know, the interstate at 20 miles over with a giant red flag that says, I am speeding. Um, because he called attention to it, too. Now, honestly, I hope that what happens is that this is, uh, this is the beginning of some sort of change in these laws and policies as prompted by this story. Um, and I sincerely hope that 
that he was doing this to make more of a statement and try and affect change rather than just going for the lulls and the views. Um, I'm afraid that it's the former and that it's the latter rather than the former, but hey, hopefully it leads to some positive change from this because three and a half years is, like I said, I can, all I can say is just it's, it's a little much. But that's that's what the law can be rough, even in Russia, apparently. Yeah, I agree, man. And that's our legalese for today. Very good. Well, guys, this has been episode 27 of Two Nerds in a Pod, the nerdiest gaming podcast in the galaxy. Now, before we go, we always like to do a final segment called What We've Been Watching and What We've Been Playing, where we talk about the games we've been playing over the past week and the shows we've been watching on Netflix, on Hulu, on TV. The movies we've seen on the theater, on Blu-ray, on mm-hmm. on VHS to go old school. Mac, what have you been watching? What have you been playing this past week, buddy? Well, I watched Star Wars A New Hope on Laserdisc because that's just how old school I go. Are you serious I, I, or no? You I really couldn't get my Betamax movie? out though. You know, I didn't I didn't don't have any any more Betamax tapes, sadly. No, <laughs> no, I am just joking, although I do I have I do have Star Wars A New Hope on Laserdisc. Um, just not a functional laserdisc player, sadly. Uh, but what I have actually been watching, been watching, is uh, I did catch Hassan Minaj's White House correspondence yes, yes. address, and that was awesome. I I really enjoyed that that White House correspondence dinner. Hassan Minaj did a great job. Um, we had oh uh, the Defenders trailer for Marvel's Defenders. Yes. I mean that looks like that's going to be quite excellent. Um, uh, the Dark Tower trailer. That looks really good too. Gosh, Mr. Nice Guy. Um, uh, Idris Elba is like my favorite actor. He's a good actor. Maybe not of all time, because Patrick Stewart is still pretty high up there. But of the people actively making movies, he's right up there at the top. And I feel sad because he's so often being stuck with these roles that don't give him much, uh, that don't give him much acting range. He could, I'm, dude, he could be Bond. He could be he could. James Bond. He really could. Hell yes, he could be James Bond. And I, I hope that The Dark Tower really kind of gives people, gives him some more big starring roles because he deserves it. Um, but, but The Dark Tower is looking pretty good. Uh, so that's why I've been watching what I've been playing, Mr. Nice Guy, is I've been hooked on this title called Hollow Knight. It's uh, for the PlayStation, or uh, it's for the PC. I think it might also be for PlayStation. It's a uh, Metroidvania, as they say. and As the kids say. As the kids say. It's quite difficult, but I am enjoying it. It's infuriating sometimes, but I'm having a good time. So that's what I've been watching and I've been playing. Sweet. Well, guys, as you know, I have been playing, actually, you don't know, but I've been playing a lot of Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. It's awesome. Now, they made this new mode, Mac. You played battle mode back in the day, I assume. You played some battle mode. Um, With the balloons? Yeah, with the balloons. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot more modes now. So there's like, a, there's, there's like a coin run. There's one where you catch a sunshine thing and you try to avoid everybody. It's like a game of keep away. Um, the coin one, you're just trying to keep the most coins. And then there's the traditional battle mode with the balloons. Uh, and then additionally, they made a mode specifically for the Nintendo Switch called Renegade Run. And it's basically just cops and robbers, dude. Oh, you have nice. like every everyone who's a, a quote-unquote cop has a piranha plant attached to them. And you go around, if you get close enough to someone on the other team, the piranha plant will eat them and it will put them in a jail on the map. Now, there's multiple jails on most of the maps. Their teammates who are free have to get close enough to the jail to touch this little key switch, and then they can release all of their teammates. The cops are trying to catch all the people who are quote-unquote robbers within time period, and if the robbers are able to avoid all being caught within the time period, then they win. So it's basically just a great game of cops. It's really, really fun. Played it online. My wife and I stayed up for hours and hours playing it when I picked the game up. It's a great that's mostly what I've been playing is just Mario Kart. Um, there is another game called Kamiko that just came out for the Nintendo Switch. $5 game. Uh, looks like Legend of Zelda, but it's really uh, it's kind of a little bit different. Uh, it's like an hour long is what I've told uh, been told. So it looks good. I'm going to pick that up. And as far as what I have been watching, dude, all about that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. right now. Um, getting caught up on Better Call Saul. 
And since we're talking about trailers, the trailer for The Runaways, the Marvel show coming directly to Hulu, was recently leaked. Uh, so you can catch that online, The Runaways Marvel series. Uh, it looks like it's going to be a good series, and that is my favorite comic book of all time, so I'm excited for that. Now, as far as people in the chat, uh, we got people saying... Yeah, Mac just posted the link to our iTunes. Guys, hit us up on iTunes, download the old episodes, uh, and leave a rating if you do like the show. Now, as far as people in the chat, we got CSGO, we got H1Z1, uh, someone waiting for the next Call of Duty to came out, come out, uh, watching Prison Break and Designated Survivor. Awesome. Uh, well, very good, Mac. That's our show for the week. I say we hop out with some outro music. What do you think? Absolutely. I got my dancing shoes on. Let's do this. Thank you guys for tuning in to the show. It's been a lot of fun. You guys really are the best viewers on Twitch. This has been Two Nerds in a Pod, nerdiest gaming podcast in the galaxy. Episode 27. We'll be back next week. Same bat place, same bat time. Twitch.tv backslash Two Nerds in a Pod. We'll see you next time. Keep it nerdy. Every week I wonder, like, if I just let this music keep going for, mm-hmm. like, seven minutes, if Mac would just keep dancing for seven minutes. Oh, you better believe it. We're not going to find out. Guys, hit us up on Twitter. Deuces.